Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. This morning's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 to 21 and then later on to verses uh, 37 to 47. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, welcome to you. The Holy Spirit. I wonder what it makes you think of as we begin this series. Does it feel like that kind of scary part of Christianity? Or does it feel like, no, this is, this is how I know that God is with me. This is how I know that God is with me. And over these next few weeks, we're wanting to look at the Holy Spirit. We're wanting to look at the, at the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're wanting to look at the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings. But I want to start off by just asking you a question. Are you instinctively a skeptical, slightly cynical person, or do you tend to be more naturally trusting? How many of you would put yourself in the, the skeptical category? Okay, that's reasonable. How many of you say I'm a pretty trusting kind of a person? Okay, that's probably more, more than half, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, if a politician's speaking and a politician makes a promise, I mean, how many of you are Wow, that's really nice. That's great. You know, isn't that going to be fantastic? Versus how many of you are, yeah, right, like I'm not going to believe you. How stupid do you think I am? Uh, I mean, some of us tend to be trusty. Some of us more cynical, more skeptical. How, how would you have felt if you had heard Jesus' promise to his disciples? And he's given to them just before Jesus is about to leave this planet. And he says to them, you know, stay here in Jerusalem. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the world. And I don't know about you, but maybe I needed to have put my hand in that skeptical category. Because if I'd heard that, I would have thought, yeah, right. I mean, Jesus, in just a moment, you're about to, about to go, because in fact, we're told that after Jesus makes this promise, he disappears from their sight. You're about to leave this place. You're about to leave your mission to these people here. And frankly, they've never got anything right before. They've never got anything right before. I mean, if you're simply objective about it, the disciples were far more of a hindrance to the mission of Jesus than they were a help. They misunderstood it. They turned away potential converts when, when people came and wanted to see Jesus. They kept on telling, telling them that Jesus was far too busy and couldn't see them. And when Jesus was in his hour of greatest need, they simply fell asleep and then ran away. And one of them who didn't, Peter, who stayed behind, quickly denied Jesus. I mean, what had the disciples ever done that would have given you confidence that they could really carry forward the mission of Jesus? You would, I think, have been deeply gloomy if you had heard Jesus say, I'm about to go, but don't worry. You're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the world. I think you would have thought, Jesus, do you really know what you're doing? Do you really know what you're doing? And yet, if you felt like that, you would have been wrong. Because actually, the day of Pentecost does come. 
And when the day of Pentecost comes, suddenly the Spirit comes out and falls upon, upon the disciples, falls upon 120 people, and these people who've never got anything right before are suddenly proclaiming a message of Jesus that is transforming and transfixing. And that very day, that very day, 3,000 people come to faith. And you've got to sit back and say, wow, I mean, this is extraordinary. I mean, after all, in the ministry of Jesus, I mean, people came, people went. Sometimes there were large crowds, sometimes there were small crowds. But at the end, that group of 120 who were there in the day of Pentecost, they were pretty much it those who were the genuine disciples and followers of Jesus. A, a three-year ministry and 120 people. It's moderately successful, but, but modest at best. And yet, after that first day of Pentecost, the number of disciples is increased by 3,000, and they're 3,120. And you would have to say, wow, something is happening here. And of course, what's happening is the Holy Spirit has come. And it's the Holy Spirit factor. And it's the difference that the Spirit actually makes. Now, 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 let's remember that Jesus, before he left his disciples, taught a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, John chapter 16, he, he tells about the Spirit who is going to come. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, he makes a remarkable statement. He says, it is good for you that I'm going to go away. It's actually good for you that I'm going to go away. Because if I did not go away, the Father would not send the parakletos, the, the, the comforter, the counselor. The counselor would not actually come. And it is better that I go away because if I go away, the Spirit comes. If I don't go away, the Spirit doesn't come. Now, now, now let's just think about that for a moment. I mean, if you were kind of just... And, and, and imagine I have a whiteboard here. And so I'm standing at a whiteboard. And I'm saying, okay, the, the, the benefits of Jesus staying, the benefits of Jesus going. I mean, what, what would you put on each list there? I mean, Jesus' presence surely was a remarkable thing. It was, was wonderful to have Jesus there. And the disciples, if they had said, you know, would you prefer Jesus? Would you prefer the Spirit? They would have said, well, you know, having Jesus is amazing. He's, he's this great teacher. And we see miracles happening. And somehow we know that God is with us. And, and, and this little list of why Jesus should stay would get longer and longer and longer. And then they'd say, but if Jesus goes, then we get the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that's better. Why? And, and, and if you, 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 you put your list there, why would you say that's better? Well, actually, Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus was telling the truth. Because wonderful that was to have the presence of Jesus with them. Even when Jesus was there, he wasn't always with them. Sometimes he would go away on his own to pray. Sometimes he would be sleeping. Sometimes he would be talking to someone else. Sometimes he was in the Mount of Transfiguration with a, a small group of his disciples. He wasn't with everyone all the time. But you see, with Jesus going away, Jesus, who had been located in a particular place, in a particular time, able to speak to particular people because he had taken on all the limitations of a human body. This Jesus, who, who had had to be just in one place at one time, suddenly comes to us through the Spirit and is now everywhere and at all times. And so we say, I imagine that, 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 that as you came to the service today, you would have said, God is here. And God is here. But how is God here? God is here through God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
And God lives, if you're a believer, God lives inside of you. But how does God live inside of you? God lives inside of you through the Spirit. And God moves through the Spirit. And the Spirit is able to be everywhere and at all times. And so Jesus says, it is better that I go away. It is better that I go away. Because at the moment, there's this restriction. But when I'm gone, that restriction is lifted. And I, God, come to you in the form of the Spirit and can be with you always. Indeed, I can be in you. It, it's, it's, it's fascinating that the Greek term for the Spirit, or when Jesus speaks about the counselor coming, he speaks about the parakletos. And, and, and the Greek word for that means, well, well you know the word parallel. Uh, so the para means the one who is alongside you. The one who, here you are, and you're, you're over here, and as you hear, the Spirit is right there with you, right there alongside you. And Jesus said, and if I don't go, that doesn't happen. If I don't go, that doesn't happen. Therefore, it's better because actually that day is going to come when the Spirit will come and will be right alongside and with you always. So, let's think about the Holy Spirit and what it means that the Spirit has come. And I guess we get the first take on the coming of the Spirit when we think about that day when the Spirit did come so dramatically for the church, the day of Pentecost. Now, we need to remember that Pentecost was one of the, 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 the Jewish festivals. So the Jews had three, what they would call pilgrimage festivals. And there were three times in a year when if you were Jewish, you were supposed to make the journey to Jerusalem. That was for Passover. It was for the Feast of Weeks. And was for the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, Jesus is crucified during which Jewish festival? It's during the Passover. Uh, and Passover takes on a whole new significance in the light of Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' death. It is not accidental that Jesus is crucified during the Passover festival. Why? Because Passover spoke about that time when, when if you had the blood of the Lamb put over your doorpost, the angel of death would pass over you. And as the angel of death passed over you, your sin was no longer counted against you. And it's followed very quickly by the Jews being released uh, and, and, and set free from Egypt. So this, this Passover feast, which remembered the forgiveness of sin, takes on a whole new significance because it is now linked with the crucifixion of Jesus. And so at Passover, Jesus is crucified, and it is his blood that now, in fact, washes over us and sees our cleansing for sin. And so you recognize that, that God had given these, these pilgrimage festivals, which the Jews saw as being extraordinary significance. The, 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 the feast of Passover takes on a whole new significance in the light of the death of Jesus. And now, here we are. We are the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks, as it was sometimes known, or Pentecost, which means 50, takes place 50 days after Passover had taken place. And it was a Jewish festival. It was one of those three pilgrimage festivals where you had to go to Jerusalem if you were Jewish and if you were a really good and obedient Jew. And the fact that, that the Spirit comes at Pentecost gives us this little alert. This festival is now really going to have its true meaning lived out. Just as Passover had been, been recognized and celebrated in a way before, but, but never in the depth that it's celebrated after the crucifixion of Jesus. Now the Feast of Weeks is going to take on a whole new significance. And so we need to understand, if we're going to understand something of the work of the Spirit, something of what this Feast of Weeks was all about. 
Now, if you asked a Jewish person, you said, okay, so you're going to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. Tell me, what, what is that all about? They would have said, well, we remember two things during this, this festival. Remember, one, number one, that, that, that it was the giving of the law to Moses that transformed us as a nation. And we need to celebrate the fact that God has given us the law. And so in the Feast of Weeks, we remember that the law was given, given to Moses and that when we were given the law, we as a people were effectively constituted as the people of God. We became the special people who lived by this law and who kept its, its, its principles and who lived in a new kind of a way. And that happens and we remember that and we celebrate that at the Feast of Weeks. And secondly, at the Feast of Weeks, we remember that, that God is faithful to us day after day and gives us a harvest. And so it was also a harvest festival where they, they, they celebrated the harvest, particularly the harvest of wheat in, in the land. And so the Feast of Weeks was about celebrating two things. It was about celebrating the giving of the law, and it was about celebrating the harvest which had come. And you say, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not really sure what that has to do with Pentecost in terms of the coming of the Spirit. Ah, if you had been speaking to a Jewish rabbi who was not one of the smug rabbis, but one of, one of the rabbis who was concerned that Judaism wasn't all that it should be. And if you spoke to them about the Feast of Weeks and said, so during the Feast of Weeks, we celebrate the giving of the law and we celebrate the harvest, but what's it that you're really longing for? What's it that you're really hoping for when you celebrate this feast? The rabbi would have sat down and he would have said, ah, I think that this is what we're really trying to say. You see, the law has been given. But do you remember, there are promises that are given in the word. Do you remember Ezekiel? Ezekiel tells and promises that there will be a day when we actually obey the law, when we actually keep the law, when we actually do what the law requires us to do. And, and do you remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah 31, 33 gives this wonderful promise that there will be a day, and we long for that day. There, there will be a day when God will write his law, not on tablets, but on the human heart. And that somehow from within our very hearts, we will want to obey and we will want to do what God is calling us to do. Now in this Feast of Weeks, we celebrate that the law is given, but we say, oh Lord, come do what you've promised. Because we, the rabbis, we, the teachers of the people, we look here and we see and we have to guide people week after week after week. And you know what? They really don't want to do it. And you know what? They really keep on shaking the fist at God. And you know what? They keep on arguing about how they can sidestep the law one way or another. It, it's why we've got it to 613 laws now because everyone wants to qualify something. Everyone wants to do a little sidestep. Everyone wants to do a little dance around the law. We long for the day when the law will be written in the hearts of people and where that promise will come true that no longer will it be an artificial and a difficult thing to want to do God's law, but it somehow will simply be written on our hearts. And as we gather for the Feast of Weeks, we say, thank you, Lord, for the, for the law. But much more deeply, we say, Lord, bring this day when all that you've promised, all that you've taught, somehow becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of who we are. We long for that at Pentecost. And they would have said, and we celebrate the harvest. And it's great to look at this little harvest that we've got. But we see a Judaism that has become smaller and smaller. 
Our land has been taken us from us by the Romans. And we look back to a great era where the King David was expanding our boundaries and we were getting larger and larger. And we remember back to a much more fundamental promise, a promise that was given to our father Abraham. And that promise was that through us, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the nations of the world would be blessed. And we do not see that kind of a harvest at the moment. And so you know what we really hope for at, at this Feast of Weeks, at this Pentecost? We hope that we will see the law written on the hearts of people. And we long that we would see a harvest of all the people of the world. Now, when you realize that that is actually the deepest intent of the Feast of Weeks, then you quickly start to recognize what Pentecost is actually about. And that when the Spirit comes, that is in fact a fulfillment of those deepest longings. Because when the Spirit comes in that day of Pentecost, He works in the lives of those new believers in such a way that that which was external to them becomes internal. Instead of forever feeling like, oh, it's such a hard drudge to have to obey God, the Spirit comes and starts to grow fruit inside of people. And so Paul in Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit as being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's a different kind of a day that dawns as the Spirit actually works internally. The, the law is written on our hearts as the Spirit works within us. And it's a day when we receive gifts and it's a day when suddenly our witness is effective. And you see that so dramatically on that first day of Pentecost. As the disciples stand up and as Peter stands up to preach, and 3,000 people can hear, can understand, and they come to faith in Jesus. It's a new kind of harvest. Pentecost is the fulfillment of that deepest longing. That deepest longing that truly we would be people who want to obey God. People who are fruitful for God. You see it in other ways. If you look back to the day of Pentecost, let's just uh, listen to some of those verses which uh, Daniel read to us. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, now, now there are three signs that are given there. Did, did, did you spot them? There's the coming of a wind. And then there, is, there are tongues of fire that just come floating down. And then remarkably, they stand up and they speak. And there are thousands of people in the vicinity. And those people have all different kinds of, 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 of language groups. They, they, they speak different languages. And everyone can hear in their own language. And so speech is given as a new kind of a gift. And as you look at those three signs, we've been told that, that when the Spirit comes, when the parakletos comes, when the one for whom it was better that this one comes. You, you know, remember Jesus says, bold words, it, it's better for you that I go away because this is going to take this, this whole mission of God to a whole new stage. The parakletos has come and suddenly there is wind, there is power. 
Because always in, in Scripture, when, you, when you, you get the sense of a great blowing wind, you, you know that the power of God has been spoken about. And here this little group of people are changed. I mean, think of Peter. He's an impulsive kind of a man. He's often an enthusiast. But my, he's pretty powerless before Pentecost. I mean, do you remember there he is? Jesus has been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. A servant girl comes up to him and says, did you know Jesus? I mean, it's just an interested query. And he says, no, never, never, never know him at all. Are you sure you didn't know him? Never heard of him, don't know him at all. Are you really sure you don't know him? No. I mean, what kind of a witness was Peter? I mean, he wasn't even able to speak a tiny little word for Jesus at that moment to an essential nobody. And lest we are too critical of Peter, let's remember that he at least was there. I mean, the other disciples couldn't be seen for dust. So, so this power thing, that was really important because this was a pretty powerless group before this. They really couldn't do very much. And as Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, if you were skeptical me, you would have just thought, oh, no, awkward, awkward, awkward moment. What are you doing, Peter? This is going to be disastrous. I mean, the last time you tried to speak to someone, you couldn't even speak to an audience of one. And now there are 3,000 people, and you're going to speak, and, and everything inside of you would have been saying, this is not good. This is seriously not good. This will not finish well. And he speaks, and suddenly those words matter, and they transform, and 3,000 people come to faith. The wind had blown. There was power. And there's this reminder that you can never think about the Spirit outside of the context of the power and results and of God doing something. It is why, incidentally, that it does not matter how gloomy the reports of, of non-church growth might be. We are never people who despair because we always remember that it is just one blowing of the Spirit away and the story can transform very radically and very quickly. And indeed, that's happening in many parts of the world. Many parts of the world. Uh, the, the, the astonishing transformation of, of the co composition of Christianity in the last hundred years has been that about a third of the world's population, 2.2 billion people, still claim to be Christians in one form or another. But whereas a hundred years ago, almost all those people, 70% of them, were living in Europe or the UK or the USA, now they are right around the world because the Spirit of God has blown in fresh new places and people are coming to faith in their hundreds of thousands in many parts of the world. And you know what? It could happen here in Australia all over again. It just takes God to say, now's the time. Now let my spirit blow, because when that happens, there is power and there is transformation, and that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. There was more than that, though. There were tongues of fire came and settled in each of them. Always, always, when God does something, there is the purifying work of fire, the reminder that God's people need truly to be pure, need truly to be clean. Do you remember Isaiah in the temple? He goes and and he hadn't been expecting anything out of the ordinary. You, you, you read this in Isaiah chapter 6. He, he goes into the temple and he just senses, wow, 
the glory of God is here. And he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, the, 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 the King of glory. What, what will happen to me? And we're told that an angel comes and takes a coal and puts it on his lips and says, now you are purified and now you're clean. Cleansing always happens when the work of the Spirit takes place. Or it's Moses. Moses just walking in the wilderness one day, and suddenly it's a God space. And God says, take off your sandals, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And the disciples just gathered for yet another feast of weeks. Yes, the, the, the rabbis long that it could be something more, but it's just, no, no. Suddenly this is the one. And the Spirit blows through in power and tongues of fire come down and they're purified and they are cleansed for the mission that lies ahead. And we know that it actually works. We know that it works because, wow, look what takes place. They speak and as they speak, we're told that though people spoke all different kinds of languages, it didn't matter what language they spoke. As the disciples were speaking, people said, I can understand that, I can understand that, I can understand that, I can understand that. And people were saying, but no one's speaking my language. No, they are. I'm, I'm understanding, I'm hearing. And another dramatic change has taken place. I don't know if you remember Genesis chapter 11 in the Bible. That's very significant chapter. We, we often don't think about it enough. It's the building of the Tower of Babel. And, and do you remember at the building of the Tower of Babel, people who spoke the same language suddenly start to speak different languages and they don't understand one another. And so we're told people scatter and all the people in the world are separated and they hate each other from that point on. But here on the day of Pentecost, the exact opposite takes place. People who speak different languages listen to words being spoken and they say, we all understand. We all understand. Because they understand that this is a message of the love of God. This is a message of restoration that comes through Jesus. And everyone hears that and everyone listens. And people who should have been apart are suddenly brought back together. And speech, instead of driving people apart, now for the first time draws everyone together. And draws everyone together. Why? Because the harvest, because this is a harvest festival, is no longer just about Jewish people. It's about all the people in the world. It's about all the people in the world. This remarkable Pentecost day. This remarkable Pentecost day. A five-year-old once said to her father that she knew everything that there was to know. And her father said, you know everything there is to know? How, how do you know that? And she said, because I've thought and I've thought and I've thought and I can't think of anything I don't know. And, and that's quite profound in its own way because, because if you had spoken to Jews pre-Pentecost, they would have thought, I've thought and I've thought and I've thought and I can't think anything that I don't know. I, I, I've got the 613 laws got this system all wrapped up. I've got the way that you obey God. I've, I've got it all. I, I know everything there is to know. I know everything there is to know. Except the day of Pentecost comes and suddenly their eyes are opened and they see in a completely different way. And they say, see people there who before they would just have thought, well, 
They never going to, in fact, follow God. I mean, they don't even speak our language. Thank you very much. There's, there's nothing we can do about this. But suddenly they see, actually, we can reach out to you. We can reach out to you. We can reach out to you. And they see that the harvest is a harvest that's going to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. It all changes that Pentecost Sunday. And it all keeps on changing when the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes and works deeply inside of us, transforming us. I started off by asking, so are you naturally a skeptical person or a trusting person? Many of you said you're trusting people. Then I would say to you, just keep trusting. Keep open to God. Keep letting the parakletos work inside of you. Keep praying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me more and more and more because the Spirit has already come and you can trust God for results. And if you're a skeptical, cynical kind of a person, pray that God would break down your barriers of resistance and have a new kind of hopefulness because who knows, if the Spirit were especially to come upon you. It could be that all those deepest promises would come true. And that instead of the law being hard and difficult, and it's so hard to please God, you would find deep within yourself something welling up saying, I want to serve God. I want to obey God. I want to be God's person. You'd find words coming from you that instead of just being blah, 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 are words that speak and change, and transform. And you would find that there could be a harvest from your life, harvest like you've never imagined before. Jesus said, it is good for you that I'm going away. It's good for you that I'm going away. Because if I didn't go away, the parakletos would not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And the Spirit has already come. The Spirit has already come. But oh, there are times when we forget that. Oh, there are times when we squish that out. Oh, there are times when we forget that. And so this season of Pentecost, as a church community together, we're going to be praying again. We're going to be engaging in 24-7 prayer. And much like the 120 in the past, saying, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, because we believe that we do not have to be cynical, skeptical people, doubting that change can ever come. We can be people who are transformed by the coming of your Spirit, the one who is with us, inside of us, alongside of us, transforming us, changing our hearts, that we truly might be people who live for the glory of God. If you listen to that and you say, yeah, hardly likely, let the Spirit come and change that hard heart that you might have a heart of flesh, a heart in which the Spirit lives, changing you, transforming you, equipping you, empowering you, and that for God's glory. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that you hear. 
where our hearts have put up a little barrier of resistance. Take it away. Where sin has built a barrier, bring the cleansing fire. Purify us. Where cynicism and doubt has crept in, give us hope again. Where we've stopped seeing and don't notice and don't remember the great harvest that you've called us for, give us eyes to truly see. Where we've written ourselves out of the equation and we think that you'll never use us, remind us that you used those hopeless disciples of old. And yes, you'll use even us. We commit ourselves to you. Amen.